Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Joshua 16. Some of you are like, that'll teach me to make my New Year's resolution to come to church. That dude has not even started his message yet. Anyway, and so there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. If you're still making, you're getting familiar with the scripture. The New Testament starts with Matthew, and the Old Testament starts with Genesis and, and Judges. I said Joshua, then Judges 16. Judges is in the Old Testament. So it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Now, some people may be like, why do they call it judges? Well, this was at a time in history when the, when, when the, when the Jewish people, God's people, didn't have a king. And so they were led in their communities by, you know, by their priests and by different things like that. But every now and then there would be national things that would arise that they had to address as a group of people. And so with that, God would raise up people. Sometimes he'd raise up men. Sometimes he'd raise up women. He raised up Many of you have probably heard of Gideon. He raised up Gideon at this time. He was one of the judges that are talked about here. He raised up a lady named Deborah. She was one of the judges that are talked about here. And then there was one guy he raised up named Samson. How many of you have ever heard of Samson? Let me see your hand. Okay, Samson and Delilah, you remember them. You know, Samson was the guy, got a bad haircut, it ruined it for him. And so, um, and from that day on, hair was overrated. But it, here's the thing, it's just me being funny. Anyway, Judges 16, verse 17. Now, when you, think about, when you think about the judges, Samson was calling was so unique that he was the only one who an angel appeared to his parents and gave them instructions on how to raise him. They said, look, he's going to be a Nazarite, which is a person that's made a vow. And typically it's for a period of time, like we're going to set aside three weeks to pray and there may be other things that we're saying no to in order to say yes to this. That would be similar to a Nazarite vow that for a period of time that this is, we're just going to give this special attention. Well, they said, you know, for him, we want him to live this vow for the rest of his life. So there were a couple instructions given to him. One is, is that, you know, that he shouldn't drink alcohol. And the second thing is that never shave his head. So a lot of people are like, why was this such a big deal? Well, it was a sign to everybody else that he was separated for God. Now, he has this, there are great things that took place in his life. There were a group of people called the Philistines that were very harsh toward the Jewish people at that time. They would do just horrible things to them. And so, so God raised up Samson and the spirit of God would come upon Samson. One time he goes down to the city gates and he tears the gate off of the walls, man. And I mean, and just wreaks havoc with them. Another time he catches all of these foxes, ties their tails together, puts a firebrand in their, in, in their tails and, and just rushes them out to a field and they burn the fields of the Philistines down together. Another time he's in a battle by himself, he finds, he finds a skeletal uh, donkey, uh, a donkey's jaw and he raises up, it's the only weapon he has and he engages these Philistine warriors by himself with this and, you know, and kills you know, at least a thousand of them that day. So all of these great things, and yet Samson had this one struggle in his life, and that is he struggled with the opposite sex. You know, like who he should be in relationship with. And then if he was in relationship with him, you know, was he, was he playing by his own rules or was he playing by God's rules? And in so many ways, it could be a picture of this generation. And so, so he, he has those moments Well. The Philistines, he was just wreaking havoc with them, and they realized this guy's a problem. So they, they studied him and kind of found out what his issue was. And so they found a lady named Delilah, and they offered her and her family some money if she would find out his secret. So she enticed Samson. They entered into a relationship. It wasn't just like a one-date thing. I mean, this was over weeks. 
And she would ask him a secret and he would, he would you know, tell her, you know, one thing and, and they would try that and it had no impact on him. And finally, man, she was like, man, you've lied to me. You've kind of played me the fool. You know, you're just toying with me. You're using me. And so after all these weeks of just persistence, he finally relents and tells her. And we're going to pick up on that right there. Judges 16, verse 17. It says, finally, Samson shared his secret with her. My hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me. Now listen to this. And I would become as weak as anyone else. He didn't say weaker. He would just say, I would become average. Just like everybody else. In a while that God's plan for him was not to be just like everybody else. And he, he had this huge plan for him. And so, you know, um, I'm going to date myself here. If, if my looks don't already do that, then this, certainly, this story certainly will. Some of you, you're going to date yourself because I'm going to ask you if you remember this. How many of you remember the comic books at the back, they'd have the Charles Atlas stuff? How many of you remember that? Yeah, some of you are afraid to raise your hand now. I know you know what I'm talking about. So anyway, so yeah, it was this picture of this dude. He was, he was ripped, and he would, he would do this little cartoon where it shows this guy, he's pretty frail looking, and he's got this really pretty girl with him, and this muscular dude comes up and kicks sand in his face and takes the dude's girlfriend. And so Charles Atlas is like, okay, you need to, you need to try my routine so people aren't stealing your girlfriend from you. And so, you know, that was very appealing to me as a teenage kid. So anyway, um, but the truth of the matter is, so what I thought when, when Samson got his hair cut, I thought he became the frail dude. But that's not what happened. I, I think that day, because Samson couldn't tell, I, I don't think you could tell by looking at him, other than the fact that his hair was cut, that anything physically was different about him. Because it wasn't in his own strength that those things were taking place. That the deception was, it, it looked like business as usual. And so it goes on to say here, he says, he says, um, that I would become as weak as anyone else. Delilah realized he had finally told her the truth. So she sent for the Philistine rulers. Come back one more time, she said. For he's finally told me his secret. So the Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands. Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head in her lap. And then she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. In this way, she began to bring him down. And his strength left him. Then she cried out, Samson. The Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. Now, this next statement, man, is just so telling. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. In other words, you know, here he is kind of doing his own thing again. And he wakes up and he thinks, I'll just do what I've always done. Without this recognition that the one that had provided him, he didn't know what it was like to be without God's strength. It was just there. Just, it was, he just relied on it. And now he did what he had always done, but without that. And so now he was limited to just what he could do. So I'll do as before and shake myself free, but he didn't realize the Lord had left him. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza, where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind, to grind grain in the prison. 
I think one of the reasons why the Lord has said, man, I want presence to be our word this year in our church. And, and I believe it's going to be that in my life too. Maybe, maybe in yours as well. I don't know, you know, but, but for us as a church is because he, he wants to remind us that without the Lord's presence, we're left to our own abilities. Without his presence, we're, we're left to just what we can do, what only we can do. That, you know, if, if that's all you've ever known, then that may not frighten you or concern you or anything like that. But I just want to encourage you and just say, you know, whenever you begin to realize that there's things you're experiencing in your life that are way beyond your abilities, then you think about it, if that wasn't, if his presence wasn't there, what happens to this? This may sound, this is kind of how my mind works. Like I walk in and my buddy David over here, he's operating the camera for us. And I'm like, I don't know anything about cameras. And yet I've got a church that's got cameras. I mean, that's obviously God's good hand upon our life. When somebody goes, what kind of cameras do you guys have? I'm like, video ones? I mean, I don't know. You know, it's like, what are you asking me? I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't buy them. I, could, I don't know how to turn them on. I mean, do they have an on switch? They do? Okay. It's like with a plane, you know, does it have keys? I, I don't know. So anyway, you know, so, but I mean, it's just things that you have. I mean, just things in the natural like that, that it's obvious that have nothing to do with my strength, my knowledge, my ability. It's just God's hand. And, and without that, and we're so limited. It's just limited to what I know, what I can do. And so when I think about our church, I think about our future, I, I don't look at these as our best days. I mean, I, I, when I look ahead, I think our best days are ahead of us. But, but any one of us just in our own ability can't take us there. That it's, it's, it's God. We're just yielded to him. Sort of to him. There's an, an account given in the New Testament in the early church that his presence showed up in just so many ways and, and real things took place. And, and one of the things that happened was that like the Apostle Paul, there would be people that couldn't come to his meetings. They, they would bring like handkerchiefs to him and he would pray for them and send them back to the people. And if they were sick, once those handkerchiefs touched them, they would get better. Or sometimes people that were like possessed with evil spirits would be delivered. And so this, the news of this really spread. And, and people tried to mimic it and copy it. They, they still try to do some of that stuff today. Uh, mimic and copy stuff. And so, so these guys that were called the seven sons of Siva, they went around trying to deliver people. They, they performed exorcisms on them. And so they, they went to one place and they said to this guy, we adjure you in the name, by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out of the individual. They were in this guy's house. Well, it didn't go well for those guys. And, and here was the response. It says this, that um, the man with the evil spirit uh, leaped on them, leapt on them, overpowered them and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. You go in to pray for somebody and you're just trying to make a little money off of them because you're misusing things like this and you leave with no clothes on, that's like got to be one of your worst days. You know what I mean? So it's, so, but it was because they just, they tried to do it in their own strength. There was no presence there. And we, you can do all the things that look churchy. All the things, you know, that, that we're capable of doing on our own that, and you know, and that's kind of where religion comes from. It kind of has this, almost this churchy feel it's got church activity, but there's no presence. So it's just, it's just me. It's just us. So one of the reasons why presence matters is because 
Without the Lord's presence, we're left to our own abilities. You know, the thing that makes the church unique, not just another gathering, is that when we do it right, Jesus is here. He's here. That's what, what distinguishes this from just something else. And so we want to, uh, you know, we don't want to be limited to our, to our own self. Go to Acts 10, if you would. Acts 10. Verse 34. Now, Now, you know, with this, you know, before Jesus had, had, he had been crucified on the cross, he died, he was put in a tomb, and he was raised from the dead, and he spent some time with the apostles, the disciples, before he ascended into heaven. And one of the things he told them was, he said, look, he said, you know, he said, don't, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, you know, his presence upon your life. And so they did that, and Peter saw a significant change and so in verse 34, some things were happening. And Peter said this in verse 34, Acts 10, 34. It says, and Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is a message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who's Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee. After John began preaching his message of baptism, and you know, listen to this, you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now, people say, well, I thought he, I thought he is God. Well, he is, but understand this, that when Jesus came to earth as God in the flesh, that he made a decision that he was going to live like we do. In other words, he was going to face the same temptations that we do, that, that the, uh, you know, the benefits or privileges of being God, he was going to lay those aside. In other words, that, you know, the devil's trying to get him to turn, you know, stones into bread. Well, he could have done that because he created the stones for crying out loud. But he laid that aside. You know, he even said this when, when he was standing before, I think it was Pontius Pilate. He said, man, he said, you know, I could call, call upon my father to send him legions of angels and they would come. Because he had that privilege as being God. But he laid all those things aside to live as, as God in human form. And so when he did ministry, the, it was the Holy Spirit's anointing upon his life, the presence you know, of the Holy Spirit upon him that, that allowed those things to bring about change. So it says this, that he went about doing, first of all, he went about doing good. Now, we as a church, our desire is to be relentlessly good to our community. But let me just say this. If all we do is show up with good deeds, then we've just made their life a better place to live while they're on their way to hell. And so there's more to it than just being good. That, that that's a part of it. It's what God gives us to, to earn the right to speak into people's lives. But real transformation takes place when people encounter the presence of God. And that's where real change takes place. I mean, I, I got to be real honest with you, that, that song this morning in both services, I remember the first service, the, the last one that we sang, man, it was just, just moved me and 
convicted me and that type of thing. You know, when I think about our worship team, I mean, like, and I'll just use the, the three up here this morning, and we, we have others like, you know, Haley and different people like that. But you, you think about, you know, Jake, and you think about Jameson, and you think about Riley and the musicians and stuff like back here. They're like really gifted, right? I mean, they can really sing, right? I mean, don't you think that? I mean, I think that, right? I mean, is that... And, and I mean, you know, I'm, I'm hearing Jake sing that last voice, uh, the last song. He's got such a good voice that, you know, that just on his voice alone, I can just hear him sing sometimes. But let me tell you something, that on those times, you know, if, if there was no presence, it would just me being enjoying a good voice. It would be great entertainment. But when I was, when I was on the front row this morning, that it reached into another realm besides me just enjoying somebody that's gifted. That God's presence was here and he was transforming me. There was just this, this sense or this awareness, this reminder, this correction. And so one of the reasons why we, we need God's presence, if you're taking notes, number two is, is that real change is a result of the Lord's presence. Part, part of our mission will be to be relentlessly good to our community. But not just so we can be just another social, um, you know, activity, social function. No, we, we, we carry more than that. that. That we want to bring his presence with us so that what people really need, the same thing that I really need, is Jesus. And so, so for us to do that, if, you know, that we started Cedar Point and, you know, with the thought of we want this to be a story-changing place. Man, I hope that while you've been coming here that in some way your story has been changed by Jesus, by the presence of God in some way. You know, in some people the change is so drastic that it's noticeable. And for others, it's, it's a little bit at a time, but those are still changes, right? I mean, I mean this morning... You know, when I, was, when I was up front, it wasn't like he said, hey, look, I want you to quit robbing 7-Elevens. You know, I mean, now, I, I'm, not, I'm not robbing 7-Elevens, so you don't have to, but I mean, but it was just, you know, the change would be subtle that maybe you wouldn't notice unless I share with you, but I notice. But it's still transformation, it's still change. And so we, we need this presence in our life, because without it, there's, there's not any real change. There's things that make us feel good. There's things that we enjoy. But if that's all it is, it's just a matter of time before our flesh gets bored with that and finds the next thing to entertain us or that draws us in or appeals to an appetite that we have. And so for us as a church, the thing that, the thing that we can offer that you can't find with any other thing, that, and I say, when I, when I say we, I'm not talking about just this church, but the church, the body of Christ. The thing that we can offer is the good news of what Jesus has done for us and his presence. That's what the world craves, and they, they don't even know it. And you know what's sad is? That's what we need, and sometimes we don't even know it. So for us, for this to be the word, the reason why it matters so much, it's so important, is because real change is a result of the Lord's presence. Let's go to this last one and we'll close with this. Go, if you would, to John 4. It's the book right before the book of Acts. And, you know, this is one of my favorite accounts. This interaction that Jesus has with this lady, it's one I use often just because there's so much stuff in here. 
But it just, you know, it just really kind of reveals that thing going on that many of you remember that Jesus, they were in Samaria, and that was a place the Jews did not like to go. There were centuries worth of hostility and conflict between the Jews and Samaritans. They didn't like each other. And so, um, and, you know, a lot of distrust, a lot of just, you know, you hurt me, I hurt, you know, what do you mean I hurt you, you know, that, that kind of thing. And so, Jesus is by himself, he's at this well, and this woman comes up, this Samaritan woman comes up, and he asks her for water. And, you know, and she's still carrying that wound around, and she's like, why would you, a Jew, want me to give you water if, as a Samaritan woman? And so they begin to have this conversation, and finally, you know, she says, you know, you Jews say that in Jerusalem is where we should worship, and yet, you know, the, this well is, that you want water from is Jacob's well, and, and that kind of thing. And so, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't know who Jesus is, but she's having a theological debate with Jesus. Can you imagine how foolish she felt later on? Like, I can't believe I tried to argue with Jesus over theology. But anyway, so, so Jesus says this in verse 21, he goes, Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. Now listen, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers, everybody say true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So what does a true worshiper look like? Well, they worship him in spirit. Well, if it's not spirit, what would it be? Flesh? Makes me feel good. I like it. it you know, it appeals to me. It's spirit. In other words, that it's engaged with the Holy Spirit. It's the worship. It's engaged with that. And then it says this, in truth or sincerity, reality. And he said that true worship is worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It says the Father's looking for those who will worship him that way. But he's looking for people to worship him that way. And it goes on to say, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. There's something about that phrase, that statement, that he's looking for people that worship him like that, that grabs me. And so I realize, you know, if the word for this year is presence and that for real transformation to take place in the things that we do, you know, throughout the community and our other ministries that take place on Monday night, Wednesday night, in our, in our life groups with the devotional that we have and different things like that, that we can have all of those things down. But, but again, that, you know, that we, we have to want to do this, you know, led by the Holy Spirit in sincere, being sincere and, and in reality that, that we have to do it. And he said, there's something about that, that the Father's looking for that. It, it sets an atmosphere that welcomes him. In other words, like my indifference doesn't, doesn't draw that presence here. It's when I'm engaged You've been around somebody and you're talking to them and, and you can tell they, that wherever they are, it's not with you. Yeah. At, at some point, you're like, let's just, neither one of us be here. If I'm going to be the only one here, then let's just neither one of us be here. And, and there's just something about it that in order for us to experience that, we have to create an atmosphere that's inviting to the Lord's presence. That's inviting by, by worship, by surrender, you know, and, 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 you know, and again, you know, when we think about worship, a lot of times we think about strictly just singing, but, and that's part of it, but there's more to it than that. And, it, and Sunday's a huge part of it, but it's more than just Sunday. You know, now I will tell you that I know in my life that there's this conflict, and, I, and again, I think maybe we're the same, that there's this part of me 
that when I'm aware of God's plan for me, of his presence in my life, and you know, you know, what he wants to do in me and through me in the lives of other people, man, it really impacts me. And then I have this other side of me that depending on the circumstances going around, that it's really not engaged with what he wants. It's more about kind of what I want. This past week, you know, uh, we, you know, we give the staff time off just because it's holiday season and that kind of thing. And, and so Tina and I, we took a day and we went to Oklahoma City and there's this restaurant we wanted to go eat at. I'd never been there before she had, she realized it. So, so we went and the guy served us. He was a good guy. He comes up. He's very, you know, he's, he's very friendly. He goes, hey, my name's Pablo. I'm going to be your server tonight. And so we were talking and that kind of thing. And so, you know, as time goes on, you know, and I'm engaging him and he's like, we're going to have a baby. It's going to be my first one and that type of thing. So as, as our meal gets ready to close, I said, Pablo, can I talk to you for a minute? He goes, sure. And I said, I know you're working, and I want to be mindful of that, and I don't want to embarrass you, and I'm not going to draw attention to this. But since this is your first child, can, can I pray for your baby and you? And he goes, I said, and I'll be quick. He goes, yeah. So we pray for just a minute, and then when we're through, man, he said, thank you so much. He said, I'm from Hawaii. From Hawaii, my grandmother lives in Hawaii. She's a Christian. She prays for me. We talk all the time. And I thought this was probably an answer to his grandmother's prayer. And so we had this great engagement, just conversation. I, I was encouraging him and stuff like that. And we're through. Tina was like, how do you do that? And I mean, it was complimentary. She wasn't like, oh, my gosh, what are you doing? You know, she's like, how, how do you do that? And I said, well, I mean, you know, who doesn't want their kid prayed for? You know, and, and I mean, I just felt compelled to just kind of just, I mean, kindness is free. It's free. Being led by the Holy Spirit is free. So I had that moment, and if you were there with me, and I mean, you know, I, I wasn't trying to draw attention to myself in a restaurant or anything like that, but if you would have been kind of a viewer, you, it, it would have, you probably would have sensed or felt like God was nudging me, that it was in spirit and in truth, it was inviting his presence there. I, I genuinely sensed that he was engaged, the Lord was helping me in that moment. And so it was, just, it was just a great moment. It was one of those moments where I felt yielded and that kind of thing. I wish I could live there all the time. So, so we spend the night at this hotel, and we get up the next morning, and they, you know, they have a breakfast, and it's not, it's a, it's a good breakfast. They make, they have like a buffet thing, and then they make omelets. And so I go down there, and on the one side is a buffet, on the other side with people in that line, and on this other side there's like six or seven people in the omelet line. And so I want an omelet, so I get in line, and they, the person, they, they don't have their A team behind the counter, and so. The lady's nice, but she's just not a great omelet maker. I clearly know about food. And so, um, so and then they had this, uh, the, some people from Poland there and that kind of thing. And so, and they, were, they did way better speaking English than I would do speaking Polish. I mean, you know, it's like, I don't know any Polish words. So, but, you know, there's kind of this language barrier and that kind of thing. But, you know, I mean, it's just life. And so you're sitting there. And so after waiting a few minutes, they serve a few people. Then some staff member comes over and they go, hey. This is not supposed to be a line here. You guys are supposed to go on that other side. And I give like two seconds because I think surely somebody else is going to say something. I'm not going to have to be the representative for the group here in the omelet line. <laughs> and so nobody said anything in that millisecond of silence that I allowed. And so finally I looked, I'm like, so, so you want us who have been waiting here to go wait at the end of that line now? I said, you're like eight people late. You should have told the eight people that you've just given omelets to before you did that. Now, I, I don't know what it is because I wasn't yelling. I didn't use any profanity, you know, or anything like that. Hey, I'm praying for you. You know, I mean, I didn't do any of that. 
And, and I know I've asked my son David before when he's been around me that they call this character Vacation Rick. And, I, and I'm just trying, you know, I'm not trying to be mean, but I mean, I, and so I said, David, what am I doing? He goes, well, dad, he said, it's not like you're, it's not like you're saying anything mean, but he said, you can look at your face and tell that you're mad. And, and I gotta be honest, when people want to do dumb things, I, I mean, and what had happened was I felt like her boss had thrown her to the wolves. He said, I have this really stupid idea, but I don't want to be the one that tells it. So you go over and tell those people. Well, I feel compelled to speak up when people want to do dumb things. And so her response was, well, I'm sure my supervisor says, I'm going to go get him. And I thought, bring him. I mean, I'll, you know, I'll, we'll have the omelet conversation with him too. I, I mean, bring your best. Bring him out here right now, okay? I got all day. I mean, this isn't moving very fast anyway. So, and, and, you know, and when it's, you know, and, so they, they bring in, you know, somebody and that kind of thing. And, hey, we're going to serve you guys, but just in the future know this and that kind of thing. And so I thought it was over. So, you know, then I went through the, um, through the line and, you know, didn't have biscuits because I'd waited 20 minutes for the other thing. And, and he said, well, you going to be here tomorrow? And I said, no. He said, well, you're not going to have any biscuits. I said, you guys are killing it today. So, I mean, you know, it was... And so, you know, but what blows me away is that, you know, I, I mean, I went, I went from like it was less, it was, it was less than like... 24 hours, not even 12 hours, I don't think, probably maybe around 12, somewhere around there, from, from praying for that guy and being completely surrendered to the next day, you know, trying to help this restaurant chain run their omelet line better. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and the, one, the one scenario and situation, people could be like, man, God's doing something here. And the other person, the other scenario, they're like, just shut up. You know, I mean, it was talking about me. And, and, and so, you know, just it's those areas that remind me of, you know, where I need to grow, how I, how I need to do better. You know, and you know, I leave there and I'm like, Lord, I, I, I'm trying to do the right thing here. And, I, and maybe I just don't need to say, I, I, you know, because it never, it never, I never, I mean, I'm expecting them to engage with me. We have a good conversation. We shake hands and like, you're going to do better next time. And that kind of, it never works out that way. You know, just, it just doesn't. And so, so I have this conflict on the inside of me, this tension. And it can even happen in church, man. I can show up and have all these other things that impact my attitude. And so I have to make a willing, intentional decision that I'm setting those things aside. Because it's not about what I want. It's about creating an environment that he's welcomed in. That, that he can partner with and be a part of. Quite honestly... He's not going to help me help them serve omelet people better. <laughs> he will help me when I see their lives as something that matters to him. And so the tension for me is that I just don't always do this instinctively. I have to do it intentionally. And when we talk about God's presence it's not just because he wants to be with us, but there's something about me coming prepared, putting other things aside just to engage with him. Where the words of that song become true and demonstration expression of my life, I just want you. I just want you. Nothing else will do. I just want you. And so we should create a welcoming environment for the Lord's presence. I want you to just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute.
You know, I, this is, you know, I know it's a word for a church, but maybe it's a word for your marriage. Maybe the thing that's been missing is, is not, not the counseling, and, I, and I'm, I'm a proponent of counseling. It's, it's not the, you know, the this or the that. Maybe the thing that's genuinely been missing is that you haven't invited his presence to be a part of it. Maybe the thing with your kids is that maybe one of the prayers that you prayed is, is Lord, you know, speak to my kids, help them, you know, and that kind of thing. But maybe that's the prayer that's missing is, Lord, speak to me. Let your presence grow me as a parent. Let it guide me. Without it, your marriage is limited to your strength, to what you know, to what you've seen, to what you've been taught, to what what the example was in front of you when you were growing up. But with his presence, it exceeds your, your own abilities. Without it, when it comes to your kids, then your mistakes and your immaturity have a way greater impact than they need to have. There's, there's something about humility and God's presence that minimizes the damage of my immaturity. Again, in, in that area, Lord, in my marriage, Lord, I, I just want you. I, I just need you. Nothing else will do. In my relationships, I, I just want you. I just, I just need you. Nothing else. Jesus in our church. I'm grateful for all the things you bless us with, and I don't take that for granted. And I, and I'm, but I just want you. With what you've called us to do, nothing else will do. Let's just spend a moment with God and just make surrendering to his presence in this season, this time, and this year a part of this moment. Mm -hmm.